Hi, and welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I'm your host, Jen Milius, and I'm so glad that you're here and can't wait to introduce to you Leslie Rasmussen. Leslie A. Rasmussen is the award-winning author of the novel After Happily Ever After. She was born and raised in Los Angeles and graduated from UCLA. She went on to write television comedies for Gerald McCraney, Burt Reynolds, Roseanne Barr, Norm MacDonald, Drew Carey, as well as The Wild Thornberries and Sweet Valley High. Recently, she's written over 20 essays for Huffington Post and has spoken on panels discussing empowering women in midlife. Leslie is a member of the Writers Guild of America, as well as Women in Film and the Women's Fiction Writers Association. Let's dive into the pond and meet Leslie. Welcome to the Tough Fish Show. I am so excited to bring to you Leslie Rasmussen. Leslie, thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I am so excited that you're here. And I would love for you to start with how did you get into writing? Oh, wow. Um, Well, you know, it's funny because I wrote so many short stories when I was in school and high school and junior high, but I never thought I was going to be in writing. It never even occurred to me. The only thing I knew is that I wanted to work at a studio. I live in Los Angeles. I was born and raised here. And the studios, I just found them so glamorous. And I used to sneak onto them when I was 14, long before 9-11. You could sneak onto studio lots. And I would walk around and I loved it. But when I went, I went to UCLA. And when I graduated, I graduated with a communications degree. So I went to work at what was MTM Productions, which is now CBS Radford. And I floated around and worked for lots of people. And I ended up working on Hill Street Blues for a while. And while I was there, I would go over and watch the New Heart show being shot. And I got to know some of the writers and I just loved them. They were fun, they were entertaining. And I thought, maybe I'll try this. We'll see what happens. So naively, I just started writing for a bunch of shows. I would put my tape recorder up because at the time we didn't have DVRs. So I put my tape recorder up to the show. I'd play it all and I'd listen to it over and over and over again in my car, everywhere I went, I would just listen to characters' voices. And then I would sit down and write a spec script. Um, I wrote one for Seinfeld, for Golden Girls. I wrote a bunch of them. And at the same time, I had met a woman who was working on Newhart. And at the time, there weren't a lot of women in comedy. And she kind of took me under her wing. And she took one of my scripts and she got it to her agent who liked it. And she was working at the time on Major Dad. Um, After Newhart, she moved over to Major Dad. And she helped me get my first script. So that is kind of how I sort of almost fell into writing, but it was in my blood. My dad was a writer. So it was not that unusual for me to become a writer. It's just, I never thought of it as a career. Okay. So you've said a few things that I think are just super cool. First off, we both have a similar degree. My, it's, my undergrad is in it's communications, but mine yeah. has an emphasis in journalism. Ah. So with it actually is a journalism with an emphasis in PR, but with, with the communications background, you mentioned that you wrote a spec. What would you describe that a little bit? 
Sure. Um, at the time, now the business has changed. So if you go into television now, you're writing original material. They do not want to read anything from any show that's on the air anymore. But at the time, that's all they would read. And if you wrote an original script, they would not read it. So I would sit down and listen to, let's say it was Seinfeld. And I would listen to it and I would just start writing a Seinfeld. I'd come up with an idea. I'd write a whole outline on, you know, I had to know the characters really well. And I came up with a story and then I wrote an outline for it. And then I wrote the script. And that's pretty much what a spec script is, just a speculative script. And that's what you would send out in those days from your agent would send it out to shows. Okay, so with that then, you're leveraging several skill sets that would parlay very nicely into writing a novel like you have done. But one of those things is really getting to know that character and really kind of figuring out what that character would do when you throw them into a situation. Now, granted, in this case, there was an established character, but and an actor. <laughs> yeah, and an actor. Your yes, well, good point. You know, so because the actor is now you're thinking about how they are embodying said character. So, how did you translate some of but the skill set though into the writing that you had to do for your for your book? Actually, that was not easy at first because. When you do have an actor, you do have a showrunner telling you really what, once after you write a script and you get on staff or you're doing scripts for the actual show that you're getting paid, they help you work through the outline and the script. So you're really not on your own at all. Um, and then you have the actor. So you know who's playing the part. When I sat down to write my novel, everything was on me. I was the director. I was the <laughs> actors. I was the production designer and the set decorator and everything and, and the writer. So to create something that doesn't exist anywhere is so much harder. And I personally just like books where I can relate to the characters as far as real life. I like realistic fiction a lot um, and I write women's fiction. So for me, taking experiences of everybody I knew, including myself, and then finding these characters, my book is a family and with all their issues and everything going on. And it's a 45 year old woman who has hit that point where she gave up this great career in publishing. And now she, and she stayed home with her daughter, who her only daughter, who's now 17 and getting ready for college. And she realizes that she doesn't know what she's going to do with herself for her second act. And then all these other things are going on at the same time to add a lot of craziness, but she's also part of the sandwich generation, which means she also has aging parents. And so I looked at all of that and I thought, you know, talking to all my mom friends, we all were sort of in that situation where we had kids growing up, we had parents getting older, we were in long-term marriages, some of them were leaving their marriages. So I kind of thought, you know, I want to write a book where people could relate to that book and relate to those characters in their own life. I love that. And I love that you drew on experiences that you had, but yet shaped this fiction to be a story that you wanted to tell. Mm -hmm. So you got to know these characters, develop these characters and let them kind of guide the story. That's kind of what I'm hearing out of this. Yeah. I mean, I started out not writing an outline, which was very unusual for me because I write an outline, you know, all through script writing, I wrote an outline. Yeah. And I think writing a book was like so overwhelming the idea behind it because you know I mean a script for a sitcom is you know 40 pages I mean we're talking 300 pages in a book 
And so I did not write an outline. I had a lot of ideas for the book. I kind of knew where I was going. I thought it didn't go that direction. (laughs) I got about halfway in the middle and I was like, oh my God, now what? And my husband's a television writer. So he was saying, you've got to write an outline. You have to do this. And I kept going, no, 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 I don't need to. But he was right. So I sat down and wrote a whole outline. And even at that, the ending didn't end up being the same because as I started writing, I started thinking of other things and my characters were telling me, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do something totally different. And the middle of the night, I was getting like things going on in my head. So it did change a little bit, but the outline helped me get over the hump. So I would never not write an outline again for a book because it's too much. You know, it it just takes too much from you. Okay. So hold on a second. So when you chose to weave in the the outlining step, did you start the outline literally from the beginning, like saying, okay, let me just take this book with fresh eyes and map an outline from the beginning to end and see what happens and then compare where I am. Or did you say, okay, I've written up to, you know, X amount, let me outline from where I am to the end and see where it goes. Well, how did you weave it in midway, basically? I did a little of both. I took everything I'd written because I liked it and I put that down in the outline. And then from there, I went to the rest of the book and kind of inputted all the, I had notes everywhere about different scenes and I wanted them to take place here, but I didn't know when those scenes would happen. And then I kind of wrote them all on little cards and my entire living room had these cards. (laughs) And then I moved them around and said, oh, you know what? This scene actually seems like it should happen before this scene. And so then I moved them around. And then I started just taking the cards, sitting down and writing the um, scenes and the chapters. Well, actually, that's a really great technique is using as using either index cards or uh, there's a, a writing program called Scrivener, which kind of mm-hmm. looks like index cards or even right. taking Trello and making a board and using its cards in that similar idea to structure pieces if you need to see it laid out in a way. So I love the fact that you said, okay, let me just use index cards because it might not, it might seem like a small step and it might seem like it's how is this really going to help? But when you can physically pick the pieces up and move them, sometimes it really does. I've, I've even taken things that were written out where I think I need to edit them and move things around in such a way, like I will print them, chop them up into little, into each individual paragraph, and then physically move the paragraphs. If I think that I know serious restructuring needs to happen, but I'm working it on the screen is just a little bit harder at first, and then I come back and, and get exactly. it. Exactly. I do that a lot with my essays, my personal essays, yes. because I will see it and then I will literally cut it, print it out, cut it up and go, oh, no, 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 this should be gone here and this and that, and then rewrite it. And it really does help because seeing it outside of your screen, sometimes seeing it on the screen, your brain says, oh, no, it's fine. But when you see it outside, then you can read it. I mean, it's the same thing like my books, even. I read everything out loud so I can hear once it's written. I read it out loud so I can hear the way the dialogue goes. And, you know, if there's an extra word or if I think it should be quicker or I can hear whatever the humor is, but I do read everything out loud. I, I need do to that. Hear. Yes, I do that too. And you're also listening for dialogue because someone, you know, one character might be proper and they would say something without contractions, for instance, but then mm-hmm. another character, most conversation, most, you know, just general relaxed conversation will have contractions. Yeah. So you want to show what feels realistic or if a, 
you know, you might want to make sure there's an emphasis a certain way. Well, a contraction may not help you get there depending upon what you're trying to say. So absolutely. And to your point, yeah, you can catch typos or wrong words or missing words. Your brain will not see typos if you see it on the screen or even sometimes on the page. But if you read it out loud, you will be seeing the typos. So yes. Yes, yes. So I love the fact that a lot of the screenwriting that experience that you've had really was leveraging humor and including humor on, onto the screen. But how did, were you able to parlay that into the written word? Because you, it's, you know, to your point, you have this character or even a character that an actor that's known. And so there's, a, that has humor to them. So you're able to, there's something that kind of helps with that. But in a book, we have to create that. And if you say, well, I'm just kidding, not all the time does the reader feel like that was funny. So how do you, how did you translate that? How did you do that? Um, well, first of all, I wrote my book from the first person because my main character, I wanted the reader to hear her thoughts because she's kind of can be, she's not neurotic. I mean, she's like a regular person, but she gets so overwhelmed that she starts to go like, uh, and so we all spin in our heads. So I wanted the reader to see exactly what she was going through. And then I also wanted, because it's from the first person, everything you can't, the reader can't know what's going on in somebody else's head. So I did a few chapters from her husband because her husband's also going through something and they aren't communicating at the time. So she doesn't really know what it is. I wanted the reader to know what it was because I wanted the reader to understand his point of view in what's going on in their marriage too. So there's some chapters from his point of view. And then the father is going through a medical issue. And I wanted to people to see what it was like for that person to go through that and how they felt, not just how the, the daughter or the wife feels about him going through that, his wife. Um, I wanted them, reader, to see also, this is somebody who's scared, who's going through all of these things and doesn't know what's going to happen. So I started from there. Um, As far as the dialogue goes, because of my background in sitcoms, I kind of know witty dialogue. And in sitcoms, you do the setup joke, setup joke. I didn't want to do that because that's not what a book is. But I knew that um, witty banter would get across also a relationship. Like it shows a good marriage if there's witty banter there. Even if something happens in the marriage and something's going on, you can see that these two people love each other. You can see that these two people get along really well. And I really wanted that piece too, to kind of show who the characters are and their relationships and the daughter and the mother. You can see you know, what's going on between them and a daughter growing up and pulling away. And you can see a lot of that in dialogue. And I love dialogue anyway. It's like my favorite thing. So that's kind of how I wove in the comedy part of it because some of the book has some heartbreaking moments in it. And, you know, that separated from that, I wanted people not to be like, oh, this is a downer. It's like supposed to be fun, but things happen just like real life. Yeah, just like real life. And I love the fact that you, when you talked about the playful witty banter, my husband and I do that to each other all the time. A lot of times we might be like, quoting a movie or, or something back and forth. And it just comes out of nowhere. And it's hysterical because it's just like, you know, it's, it's silly and it's funny, but it's one of those things that it always makes me smile when we do that, you know? So I, but to your point, it is showing a playfulness. It's showing a love. Yes. Yeah. So without saying we have a great marriage, it shows that they do. And it shows that they're going through some issues. 
Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's, but I mean, just even the playing shows that even if they weren't going through anything, it still shows a, a good marriage. It shows that they really click and they, they're friends. They are friends yeah. first. Exactly. Yeah. And you don't have to tell it because you're showing it through yes. dialogue together. Uh-huh. Oh yes. And so you just introduced something that I is very near to me. I love show versus tell, you know, the whole premise behind that and dialogue does help with that. Um, but would you talk a bit about how you craft strong dialogue? Ooh, good question. <laughs> you know, it, well, it's a good question because I don't know in some ways because it just comes out of me. If I know the characters really well, yeah. then I can just sort of play with them and their dialogue just hits me. I don't even know how I craft it, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, it's yeah. Just, it's just something I'm good at doing and you know, when I do my personal essays, it's like they're witty also. And I, you know, kind of very lovingly make friend, make fun of whether it's my son or my parents or my husband. And I do that and they all know, I mean, they read them, they don't care. I don't say anything mean, but I just like to make fun of in a loving way. And so that's kind of like who I am with my family anyway. So I think that's just sort of in my head. And my father was completely like that. He had this very dry sense of humor. And so he would just like play with us. You know, but I, but with, in writing dialogue, I think that when you are visualizing that character, when you, when you, when you really are clear about this character, you can hear their voice and you can see, you almost could see how they're acting something out. And, And you, you can almost feel them too, where if you start to write something and then they're like, I would not say that. Or what are you thinking? I'm not going, I am not going to do that. You can almost feel them like crossing their arms and looking at you like, are you kidding? That's well, not going to Yes. <laughs> yes. Actors do that. They, you know, they get the script and they'll be like, oh, that doesn't sound like my character. And they'll say, I'm not going to say that line. I'm going to say it like this or whatever at times. And that's definitely true because, you know, it's, when you do television, that's the other thing. It's all uh, mostly, it's all dialogue. I mean, unless you're doing a drama and there's, you know, chases, but sitcoms are all dialogue. And that was the one thing it's like, you had, you know, stage direction Mm -hmm. saying, you know, he walked in whatever and, you know, whatever it was, he walked into the room and did this in a book it's so different because you have to write a lot more. And so when you say show, don't tell, you really have to get into your head a lot more about showing something through dialogue or through, you know, what they're doing and their actions, as opposed to having an actor walk in and just be directed into doing it. Yeah. I mean, when I'm thinking about it, I'm also thinking about the physicality of this, like what are not just like an expression on their face, but what else is happening in the room with with, yes, yes. With each other, with themselves, you know, when you, you know, for instance, when like you said you had a character, the, the father who was going through something and he's try, you're trying to show him being scared. Well, there's ways to do that too, that can amplify the dialogue just as much as even if he didn't say something, the body language can communicate mm-hmm. that too. But it can also be that you need the dialogue to say that because another character is misinterpreting what they're seeing. And we do that too. We can't, we, you want that character to feel relatable because 
they're not always going to know. They could misread something or they think they know, and then they really didn't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's true. And the dialogue will help you get there. But I, a lot of times will almost act out certain things. Like if my character is going through something, I will sit and think, okay, if this was me, what would I be doing? How would I be acting? Would I be going like this? Would I be like, oh my God, you know, whatever it is. And I try to think about what I would do in that situation. And then I, I can put it in and say, oh, you know, she crossed her arms and she just stood there, you know, whatever it is. I do that too. In fact, when I'm editing someone's piece, I, I, I'll do the same thing. Like, you know, I, if you put me in this situation, <laughs> right. this is what I, this is, I would probably be doing X or Y here too. Or what about this? You know, because you know, I, I, I think in the same context of like, what is happening in that space and sometimes moving around and acting it out does help you to, you might even unearth a few more things that you can weave in, or you might want to use instead because you know, you realize something else is coming through and that character is like, yeah, thank you. Thank you for recognizing. That. <laughs> exactly. They tell you what they need. <laughs> yeah. 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 So as you were writing this book, so you've outlined two points as the outline come, you've written the book now. What was it like going through the edits then? I like editing. Um, if I get good notes, if I get bad notes, I don't. So um, I have a friend that's an author and I have another friend who's a television development executive. And so she reads tons and tons of stuff and gives notes. So I gave the book to both of them after the first draft and they came back with great notes, you know, and a lot of their notes were add more drama, add more drama, and which was great. And so I went back through it again and I added like a lot of stuff to sort of build up the drama yeah. that wasn't comedy. And then um, I went to, before the pandemic, I went to the Kauai Writers Conference and I had finished that draft. And when I went to the Kauai Writers Conference, I took workshops and one of them was from Christina Baker Klein, Kristen Hanna and Alice Hoffman. And a lot of it was about revision. So it was incredibly helpful to hear how each one of them looked at revisions and what they looked for when they went back through their books. Um, a lot of that was like the senses, thinking, you know, smelling, hearing, whatever, really making the place that you're in stand out to the reader. Yeah. And so that was super helpful. So I went back and wrote another draft of the book. And I also met my publisher at the same conference. So that was helpful too. But, but I wrote another draft of the book. And that was, once I did that, I went, okay, that, you know, seemed like that is where I wanted the book to be. I love that. I love that so much because you're right. The senses really help to bring another, really, that's a great way to also do showing versus telling right. because. And I didn't know showing versus, I mean, I never heard that term until right. maybe like a year ago. So I didn't know, but I did get that kind of idea from that. Yeah. To do that. Yeah. Yeah. I totally can understand that. So I love the cover of your book. If you're if anybody's watching the video, you can see it. It's such a cute cover. I love that. How did you come up with it? Um, well, my publisher does the cover, but I knew I wanted a sketch. I knew they, you know, they do a lot of books that have the photographs and I just knew I wanted something a little bit more like a sketch. 
So I told them that. And so we started going back and forth and they came up with some ideas and they didn't quite work yet. And then they came up with this. I was like, oh, she's throwing the pages out of her book because she's starting a new chapter, which I loved. She's walking away, you know, like going off into her new life. So I just felt like it just showed a lot about who this character was going to be if you open the book. And I just love the colors. <laughs> oh, me too. I mean, I, I, that's what's speaking to me as I look at the cover. I love everything you just said because it's doing exactly what it's supposed to. And that's yeah. what I think is really powerful about a, a well-done cover is that it does give you a feel for the tone. It gives you a feel for what you are going to pick up when you read this piece and even the genre, it should be fitting within the genre. And so your book just, it's hitting all the right notes. And I just was like, I had to compliment you and talk a little bit about Thank it you. with you. <laughs> I think that's really, really cool. So what was it like as you were making this transition between screenwriting, getting this debut novel published and this like shift in style of writing have can you feel like the type of how your writing has grown since then oh because yeah you've been writing all along and and I I love that you've had so many different mediums but could you feel shifts in that writing well it's interesting because once I stopped tv because I had my boys and I did a few scripts once I had them and then it just became too much in the hours so I couldn't be on staff So I stopped. And then when my youngest went to kindergarten, I actually went back. I got a master's degree in nutrition because I was interested in it. And I opened my own business for 10 years. And during that time, that's when I started writing personal essays about everybody in my family. And that gave me so much more joy. And the nutrition was good. I liked it. It was fine. But that gave me all the joy. So I, after like 2015, I closed my business and I just said, you know what, I'm going to start learning how to write a book. And so that's kind of like how I got there. So I did have a break between the sitcoms and between, you know, into the essays and the essays were written in some ways similar to a book. Um, You know, there's not as much dialogue, but my character speaks from first person and that's what my essays were. So it was an easy transition from there to go to writing a book. And so then when I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to see what this is like. I'm going to write a book. And my kids were older and in high school. And I thought, okay, now is my time, which was why Maggie is, uh, has her time too to figure out what she's going to do. And that's kind of like how it all wove together. And all my friends were talking about all this stuff, like I said before. So it was this thing going on in my head. And at first, I didn't even think about writing fiction. I thought about writing nonfiction. So I put together a survey, put it out in the world and got all these anonymous women to write back about their relationships, what it was like. Um, It was mostly 40 and up. So their sex lives, how they dealt with money and conflict. And when it all came back and I looked at it, there were so many similarities in these women. And that's why I said, well, why am I writing a nonfiction book? I don't even know how to do that. But I do know how to write fiction, even if I don't know how to write a 300 page fiction book. So that's kind of where I ended up. And I ended saying, I'm, that's what I'm going to try and do. I think that is so cool. So for someone who's listening, who maybe is um, trying to write their first fiction book, do you have any tips that would help them to 
specifically just get out of their own way and get writing because you know it's yes they need to take action and they know that they're taking the action but sometimes they just need that little bit of encouragement or some extra guidance to go yep i'm on the right path or oh let me try that too just to continue on this path that i want to do you have any tips I would say, I mean, pre-pandemic, and I don't know if there's a lot going on, but I think just going to some of these conferences and listening to other writers was super helpful for me. And it made me want to do it, listening to them and listening to their process. Um, You know, everybody says read a lot. I think most people who want to write read a lot. But I find that just writing notes, and you can just write notes like, um, oh, a funny scene might be in a bowling alley. And that's all you write. You know, you don't write everything down and slowly as you start putting notes together, you'll start to see things happening. I also um, tell people one of the good things about dialogue and since I'm from dialogue, I didn't really have to do this a lot, but go to a Starbucks, sit in a Starbucks, pretend you're doing whatever you're doing and listen, listen to how men talk, listen to how women talk and men talk much more choppy and women go. (laughs) So listen to how people talk and even older people, younger people, and you'll get a sense. And if you do it enough, it starts to kind of get in your head. And the other thing, if you're writing dialogue, you can just audio tape a TV show and listen to the rhythms and listen to what they're doing. And, but mostly it's like, people are afraid to sit down and write a book. You don't have to look at it as a book. That's too overwhelming. Just look at it as, I'm thinking of a character. I'm just gonna write the character's background. And write, writing prompts are great. I'm just going to write what this kitchen looks like. And that's it. And then you'll have, oh, wait, I can use that kitchen in something. Or I can use that prompt about what love is like in something. And it will eventually kind of come together. And the idea will kind of, I mean, I've had ideas just, I'm not a big idea person. I can sit down and write forever, but I'm not one of those people that has like 25 ideas for books. But I'll be walking somewhere and all of a sudden it's like, oh, that will work. Now I have to find the story in that. So just listening is the best thing. I love that. Those were brilliant. Thank you so much, Leslie. How can people, this has been awesome. How can people connect with you and where can they get your book? Okay. Well, I have a website and it's lesliearasmussen.com. I'm on Instagram at Leslie R. Author. Um, I'm on Facebook at Leslie A. Rasmussen Author. The book After Happily Ever After is actually coming out in audio on April 12th. And the woman that narrated it is a stand-up comedian. So she gets comedy and she's fantastic. And she's also an actress. So it's going to be really fun. Um, I can't wait to hear it. I'm waiting for the, the files to hear it. And the book is sold everywhere. I mean, everywhere from Amazon to Barnes and Noble, you can request it in your local store, love indie bookstores. So that's a great place to go. It's online, so you can get it anywhere. Thank you so, so much. This has been so much fun. Oh, for me too. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad you were here and know there were some valuable nuggets shared to keep going, keep writing, and keep sharing your work. I'm a big believer that if you have a book that's in your heart to write, then there's someone else out there who needs to read it. 
Your story needs to be shared, so you have to write it and get it out into the world. Until next time, keep swimming upstream while going with the flow and get your book into the world. To learn more about Tough Fish and jump into the pond, visit jennifermilias.com forward slash tough fish.